Hello, and welcome to Thought Pieces, a new podcast from the celebrated art book publishers, Mac. Each week, we bring you the best of long-form writing at the intersection of art and literature, written and read by authors at the vanguard of creative practice. This week, Eileen Miles will be reading their essay, Vanishing, which is featured in the book The Shabbiness of Beauty by Moira Davey and Peter Hujar, which was published in spring 2021. My name is Eileen Miles, and today I am reading my essay, Vanishing. Steve died. He was huge. He was 50 and lived in the apartment downstairs, right by the front door. His Yankee sticker is still there. He went into the hospital on March 2nd and died on March 22nd. Anna at the laundromat told me, Anna's quite bent, deep into her 80s. I remember her in her 50s, a mean and vivid woman. She got older, the place is filthy, many of the machines are broken, but it's on the corner and I'm weirdly loyal to it. Steve worked there, usually standing outside, and I think he delivered bags for Anna. He helped me lug things upstairs, too. Years earlier, he lived right next door to me with a crowd of people. I remember when he was a little boy and he was thrown butt naked into the hall as a joke. I was coming up the stairs and he was desperately pounding on the door. Your neighbor died, Anna told me, when I was getting my change. Steve, I asked. He'd be standing outside my front door when I came home from wherever. Hey, Steve. Was it COVID, I asked. We don't know. His sister comes once a week to get the mail, Anna said. She comes on Tuesday. They still send it. I told her the post office doesn't take you off for a while. They're worried the landlord won't give back the security, she intimated. What's it, like $500? Two. Two hundred and something. Then I turned, hoping his sister would come in. And now this place is familiar less. I mean, everything perpetually feels more unconnected to a past when I was young and the Tin Palace on East 2nd Street was a jazz poetry bar. And Stanley Crouch held court at the bar. He died last week. My friends who were bartenders lived in this building, and I just went over here one day on my break, and I could have it, the super said, and I moved in. This is like 1977. Time puts its stamp on everything. This leg. I'm beginning to print the pictures out. 55 or 56 of them. It looks lousy, but you get the graphic thing of it. I have four hanging over my bed. Moira was interested in the quality of hair smushed when wet. It's about not shaving. Isn't it funny or cool that hair does this? And those droplets below the ankle. One on the calf. It's a specimen leg, not unloving or dead, just deeply specific. To take my leg or that leg and say this. The black line at the bottom further holds back the organic nature, like suturing it. So the show goes leg, nude, Kate, without scruple. I'll print out nude now. 
That's Peter, haptic. I'm thinking of smell, too, a palpable kind of photography. It's 1979. Not so much gym-bodied, a little pimply. But rounded in a creamy way, the shadows merely enhancing the casual folds of skin around the waist. Not fat, but turning. Everything's turning. Like flesh is the clothing of something, I think the spirit. And this is definitely the photograph of the person taking it, who knew that he was attractive, so it doesn't wind up being about him. It is an affirmation of a touchable world, a world close. The picture is chosen by Moira Davey, who, among other things, when she sees, whether she's shooting or curating, is, I think, interested in the exquisite math of it. The body, the leg, the time of day. I'm thinking now of Jason in his studio, when your love is young and you already see him for years. What's Moira's birthday? August 13th. Leo. She doesn't even know her chart, of course. Peter's a Libra. Seems right. The surgeant woman and the sexy dead man. Here's Kate without scruple. And scruple is such a Catholic word. Scruple is a unit of measurement, an apothecary word. Even Canadian. In 1981, Moira Davy is 26, and Kate, delicate, is exposed here as muscle, frame, and pose. She's not uncomfortable. It's a little regal, a little stiff. There's a pathetic quality, like a ceremony is begun in these early shots. A female career, gendered by the impromptu, but private, studio of sisters, family, and this elaborate challenge, Kate, that makes me fool differently with the lens of my understanding of what a body is. Who's looking? Who's positioning who? It's vernacular, yet deliberate. It's intense. It's a subversion, I believe. The stiffness of these early photos are like waking in the prop room of Moira Davies' later films. What I experience here is without words, an ambient feeling, though Kate's name is there on the wall and a declaration of freedom is within, without scruple, not cold, but coolly pronounced on that teeny black border. And this composition, of everything, has begun. I like troubled Jane even more, her nipples and her shadows. The fact that her body is covered a little bit by the lines of shade cast by the high lighting, I'm guessing in a bathroom, makes privacy. Jane goes in. Jane is the name of something we can't quite get. She's got on one of those fisting wristbands that seem incredibly advanced for a teenager, if that's what she is, or someone in her early 20s who is fully in her capacity to refuse. It's like a note she left on the door. I went out to the pier for Jack's 60th birthday party. Gail Thacker was there. I have this little office across the street I never used. I got it when my mother died three years ago. I thought I'd like a little room to work in across the street. I got a desk and a lamp and put some of my mother's dead possessions in there. But there wasn't a window, so Jerome used it these few years, and he doesn't need it now. He's okay, he just doesn't want to work that much. I asked Gail if she had any use for the little desk. It's a cute little desk. She's moving. Yeah, probably. Would you take a picture? 
I do have scotch tape, and I can probably stage some parts of the show right there on that empty wall at the end of the bed and think about what these combinations mean. Am I planning it or doing it? It's an essay, right? The black dog has some white on its muzzle. People love to point out white hair on dogs like they've sleuthed the incredible facts of dogs aging. This is such a good dog. I've pasted these two up in the kitchen. Moira's waterprint one is immersive and even a little hypnotic next to Clarissa Darimple's dog, Kirsten. Clarissa was or is hot. She would have a good dog. Moira's water is painterly. She told me she initially printed out the photos and spread them around her apartment. Hujar believed in separating genres in his shows. Moira says she mostly did, but not always. She told me they, the gallery, wanted to do a Hujar show, and then it became that Moira Davy would curate in her own work, too, which made for this entirely bountiful result. Moira Davy's array shuffled in with Hujar's, thoughtfully. At the end, we get Peter's photos, in color, of Paul Tech, his lover, 1967. The two sets, Hujar and Tech, Moira and her sisters, bear relation to one another, and the show becomes like a snake biting its own tail. It opened for a few weeks last February, then the thing happened. I keep thinking about the living woman and the dead man, like a forest, that it's kind of spectral. I mean, and then the pandemic. But in the enormity of time in this graveyard, or in the work of these two photographers, you can do anything you want. Lots of people saw it in the first couple of weeks. Then did it just sit there? Did they take it down? No. I guess they opened it again. It circulated on the Internet a lot. Peter's horse speaks for the shabbiness of beauty, the thick fuzzy mane curlicues behind the ear, the animal gaze not saddened but unshaking. The horse's muzzle abuts a rough fence, and a weird shadow makes me go closer and closer by a control and. To see that shadow is just the sun concluding, too, that the horse is there one day in Warwick. Her. It's pictures, but it's thinking about pictures. His sea puckers like knots in a tree. Do the young always carry entire history? Sophie Magina and Thule Dumakud, South African play Poppy Nongina, 1963. I'm looking into the South African undersuddy's eyes in the embrace of the older actress who is somewhat turned away, and it strikes me that experience makes a human's willingness to show it all become occluded eventually, but that is also an aspect of feeling. Hujar's nighttime photos from the 70s and 80s of the West Side from 14th Street South to Wall Street, which are not here, are legendary. So it puzzles me he would also make this crisp portrait of the view of Lower Manhattan from the three-year-old building that was the World Trade Center. The view practically crackles like a new deck of cards. I decide his precision here is rage. I'm standing out in the hall of my building, looking at Moira's knobby horse. The sweet horse head covered in flies, and all the world holding the horse up against a vivid white sky. Maybe it's a roan horse, and the day cloudy, I mean pale. It's a little like a historical painting, a blown-up moment in one, 
And of course, as well, it is a portrayal of the horse's thoughtfulness, which only exists in a ratio to space. Feet, chickens, water, chickens, Jason. You could miss the mountains for the man. They're behind him, but so what? Before, a table full of light. The composition is quiet, still, yet she lends authority to the sprawl. While Hujar is holding up the dark, his work is often feminine. He was 23 when he shot these chickens in a yard in Key West. The trash fence reminded me of a world I knew as a kid. It was then, 1957. It's one of the two oldest images in the show. Moira picked a lot of Peter's water shots. They are film. I mean, I could say that in general, Hujar seems to be creating neorealist stills. The elegance and the shadowiness that nearly subsumes his portraiture, including these pics of seas, brooks, and rivers, seems passionately post-war. I look at his oily dark surface, his haptic black sea, I don't think immersive like Moira's. It's the Hudson in the 70s, dirty as fuck. Moira's chickens researching in the yard are peck-pecking in the timelessness of a day are like a gang of kids. But they are sensations, down low, gathering knowledge for her. We always explain animal intelligence in terms of the ages of children. Since we don't execute them, kids, for food before they have time to grow, they function as living measurement for all other creatures. Chickens can count and in many cases are simply smarter than kids. Hujar's chicken is a soldier, an ornate warrior about to get thrust into our mouths, which is war. Valley Meyer's feet are covered with, I suspect, animal names. Hujar photographed them in 1981. I remember her being introduced to me with great reverence one night at the Chelsea in 1982. I think if I saw her feet, I would have been in awe. There's even a little claim here to being the Buddha. It makes sense that Moira Davy would wind up expanding into writing. Out here in art, everything is given, supposedly, but in writing, you can't see the intention. Visual art is mapped on the out there. Writing's like a cat. I would say Moira's a cat photographer. I'm looking at Peter's swarthy circus elephants. There's pity in the framing. What's most evident is their closeness. They're not performing now. The feeling among them is almost heard. I get texts from an animal rescue group. It's wildlifeassos.org. There are elephants who work alone in the world for years since they were babies. And if they ever arrive at a sanctuary toward the end of their long lives and they finally see another elephant, wow. The longer you look at them, you really get the shape of the elephant's heads. Part of seeing is understanding how they are built and not stopping at the photograph. What would its value be if this photo was about itself and not finally about the elephants? In a way, the total picture of our time is the abstract sum total of the awareness of all the creatures who live in it, no matter what power chooses to do. It's the greatest loss, the irreverence and disregard for the rich chaos of knowledge and presence that defines life on this fading planet. The chain at the elephant's feet is surrounding us all. I'm obsessed with time. 
though I recently learned it doesn't exist. The past is perfect, remains back there in memory, and future is intention, and the present is gone, just this flow through. In physics, the particles flow through these slits, tossed on a wall in Berlin. In memory, Bernadette talks about the pre-World Trade Center neighborhood Vito Acconci lived and moved around in. I realize I've passed through a certain stage with these pictures, and now they are friends. Moira rustling through it all, entering his archive with hers, staggering the experience. I can only write about my world, the vanishing building, and slowly install the memory of this show on my walls. Looking at Earth from outer space, if these are specimens of our time here. But I print these to see them on my desk, with my phone and stapler and coffee cup. That show. I am trying to enter her photographs, not his. Finally, I get it out into the hall. I hear my young neighbors laughing in their first apartment. I tape Times Square on my door. Lousy print. It's not even that. John with the white horse Goya is Catholic. I insist. I get so close. The glory of never seeing pixels. To see his veins, his something on a chain deep under his rumpled, probably red old turtleneck. I think he's wasp, she shrugs. The horse is squinting, the horse is not squinting, the horse around the forehead and eyes is covered with flies. Charlie, flies. It's moist. The flies attracted to the sweet tears of the horse. The horse is spotted and its lower quarter is darkened by the eventual merging of the spots. I'm easily moved toward this thought. Is light a thought? Ask Moira. If the flies are not such a bother and it's summer, well, it still must be difficult standing on all fours in a body of fur. These three young men, Barney, Eric, Leo, the one on the left, Barney, good-naturedly honoring his artist parent. Well, a bar of light straps them all in. Leo is gregarious. Eric in the middle is dreaming. That's interesting, says Moya. In another photo, he grasps his own wrist. Eric is haunted by his beauty, awkwardly enunciating it by this fashion choice, his hair. Manny One and Manny Two, two Puerto Ricans, from 1981, is from the apex moment of Puerto Rican pride. I believe these are their real names. This double portrait installed this night outside the once door of the Guzman family simmers with a quiet challenge. The arched eyebrows and a small facial scar on the side of one man's eye, the intense folds in the other's white quilted shirt, the manicured fingers hooked modestly into his front jean pockets. Full of loaded detail, nonetheless the picture warms continually. The small guy in the dark shirt leans forward, arms held behind his back. Both are ferociously neat and full of strength, their masculinity exalted by the detail. Look at the horse's effort in that single forward leg, in the triangle, the crotch of everything at which leg meets mountain. I love that Emma, her back covered by spider tattoo, turns to Moira. You got it? Can I stop? A small dog is alerted to the complications. Is this one in Florida, too? Moira's sliced quadrant of a female chest. Armpit. 
its conceptual demon youth, wet armpit hair, hair wisping around a small red nipple. Her love and her estrangement from female bodies is practically a font. To wake at weird hours trying to finish this, and there's Jane, there's the World Trade Center. Remember that morning in my building? Dying batteries squeak. Remember that morning? In my building, dying batteries squeak. Blind Mare, Pear Bond, is its title, yet what I overwhelmingly see is the humpy earth. What I figure about her work is it's always relational. It's confident, and this is the Leo side of her world. All of it. The pitch the animals are standing on. The crooked earth itself forcing my own lenses to work. I ratchet up to the pitcher, best I can, the body adjusting through a long forest of tweaks to look, to see. That pitch eventually wrestling, humping my part to the position I think she meant. I in my bathrobe and the shifting temp and the unsteady floor. I was thinking about how Blur works in his pictures because he doesn't use it. Well, in Rapids, Perkin Farm 1, the out-of-focus wave crashes into the surgent. The blur sucks the power away, and the dominant wave is actually the smaller part of the picture. The word surgent had its heyday in 1917, but it never really was a hit. Surgent is always supporting something else while it is simply rising. I think his blur is in service of the explicit emotion. Hers is more like the apparatus. Like, why is the marquee empty? And the people walking by just a blur. I think this is the profoundest statement I can imagine of the emptiness of now. There's lights, but there's nothing here. I use Twitter as a slot machine. I pledge $10 on Puddin, an adorable dog. Wait and see if he's rescued or winds up a digit in the day's kill. That long double row I saw yesterday of dogs that were just euthanized in a shelter. I leaned in to see if there's anyone I know. Hujar is making records of his senses. The baby cries through the camera pretty much. Moira's efficiency is a way of gasping at the kinds of holes moments fall in. She's tricking it for sure. Michelle Collison is languorous, casts a sentimental look like a 19th century painting. I searched Michelle, wondering who she was, but nothing came up. A few brokers. This chicken's shape is bulbous. <laughs> and the name Moira gives it Plymouth Rock is foundational, implying this chicken does everything. You can meet it, you can eat it, you can wait for each brown egg. I was going to make an American joke, land of opportunity, but she shot it in Canada. I thought Mark was a jeweler, but it's the beginning of the day, perhaps. The intensity of focus at the beginning. Even being young as a subject, again. I meant to ask Moira who this guy is. Colt with Mother, Italy, 1978. This horse is his. The colt's legs are sort of blobby and shaky. The joints come in before the spindly legs fill out. The colt's eyes cast down while trailing the mother's butt. In the kitchen, mine. Paul Tech cheats towards us a bit in this tiny close-up portrait, his eyes damp, feeling like the melancholy Russian poet Yesenin. And then, just his paw out, presented, my hands, my human hands. 
I'm sitting in Joe and Charlie's apartment because Charlie knew Peter. I asked him to give me something. I thought any stray fact about Peter Huja would be good. He said that Huja was a very attractive man. Joe and I smiled. Yeah? Is it so unimportant to nail the exact spot in someone's mortality when they took these pictures? I feel like we're all handed a hundred years to move around in. You might get a tiny piece of it. My friend talks about tarot yesterday. She was talking about transmission, the spirit coming through the cards, or through the photographer, a man gone for 33 years, his waterscapes, veiny sea, two-part combat, out of focus, fuzzy force, the audible breathing ocean, oily dark surface, haptic black sea. Valley's feet are pathetic. I won't go into it here, but I'm seeking the global reevaluation of the word, making it central to the pith of the approach to governing we want. Who are the pathetic? Because there are chickens on both sides of the show, there are simply more chickens. You can feel her touching and weighing her infant's clothed feet. Its meaning? It's the pressure of presence, syncopation like the pressure of love. Do I love the sheer sexism of the title, Dina and John McClellan? It could be funny. The ocean is crowning. Often I'm working fast off essentially sketches, bad copies. This is Gary and John, the printer's worst nightmare. Now the small dog seems patient, beleaguered. In Rosie, bedroom, her noble inquisitiveness, her rolling stars of gleam and wrinkles, the white patch on her chest, her belly, genitals, her sweet paws press in a yogic dog way. This cock puzzles me, frankly, though I would definitely have uses for its banded strangeness. I'm pasting cocks up in the hall. His waterscapes. Veiny sea. Two-part combat. Out of focus. Fuzzy force, the audible breathing ocean, oily dark surface, haptic black sea. The chickens don't know what to do about those boots. Neil Greenberg's feet. They are young, dirty feet. Neil was stretching at some point. Peter went, oh, that's nice. Can you stay there? Neil visited Peter in the hospital on Thanksgiving, the day he died. He kept pointing at Neil, and Neil thought Peter wanted something, but he was just laughing at some silly design on Neil's shirt, like the dying are so serious. He called it the hospital. I'm sweet on you, Peter said. They met at the bar on 4th and 2nd Ave and were walking home, and suddenly he stopped. There was a car outside covered with drops of rain. Now that's beautiful, said Peter. In this studio shot at the end of the show, Paul Tech resembles a butcher in a fairy tale, proud of his work, which is to cut up men. The photo's in color, of course. The severed hands are strewn matter-of-factly on a work table, as the light suffuses him. Ask Moira what color is this shoe, in her mind, I mean. She can't pass through and find it out. She can only choose. I mean, what does she believe? Gray? 
pink. You've been listening to Eileen Miles reading their essay, Vanishing, from the Shabbiness of Beauty by Maura Davey and Peter Hujar. To find out more about this book, visit our website at www.macbooks.co.uk. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to stay updated. We'll be back next week. <laughs>